Hey guys, just up top. Um, I'm Jessie, I'm your host. You'll hear from me in just a second. Um, but this whole podcast is about uh, my new book that I am publishing. It is not actually out in stores yet. I definitely will let you know when it is. It will be released sometime throughout the course of this podcast. Um, but I just wanted to let you know straight off the bat that this is kind of like a promotion for my new book where each episode will align with a subject um, or a chapter. So if you do want to purchase the book, I will let you know when it's out, but at the moment, um, this is just a little sneak preview to see what you might expect in there. So yeah, um, sit back, relax, and we'll head into the first chapter, Why Should We Conserve Conservationists Anyway? Hello, and welcome to the How to Conserve Conservationist podcast. I am your host, Jessie, and I'm the founder of Lonely Conservationist, the online community full of budding and burnt out conservationists. And I'm doing this podcast to promote my new book of the same name, How to Conserve Conservationists. I'm here today with my partner, Todd, because I want to give an insight to what it's like from a non-conservationist perspective, because although this book is marketed at conservationists, it's also marketed at the people in their lives to help conserve those conservationists that they know and love. So hello, Todd. Hello. (laughs) Do you want to tell everyone a bit more about yourself? I am a not a conservationist. I work in IT, so it's a whole world that I don't understand a lot of. Yeah, it's it's interesting because Todd has experienced the past five years of my conservation journey and has kind of realised that it's not as straightforward as being a bricklayer or a pharmacist or another traditional career path what are they called career person (laughs) um so i thought it'd be interesting to get his perspective of uh what i've been through i guess um so in each of the podcasts i'll be talking about a chapter in the book so there's 11 chapters there will be 11 podcasts and the topics will range from anything from mental health imposter syndrome failures relationships a lot of stuff that conservationists go through so because of that structure today we'll be talking about the first episode, Why Do We Need to Conserve Conservationists Anyway?, which is basically the introduction to the book and, I guess, an introduction to who I am and Lonely Conservationists. So, yeah, (laughs) diving in. The first, um, I guess, point is about what even is Lonely Conservationist and who even am I? (laughs) Uh, Jesse Panazzolo is a conservationist first and foremost. I don't think you'd knock that title. I guess I'm a conservationist, conservationist now, but I guess for the past 20 years, I've been just a regular conservationist. Well, you've been in every continent on the globe no, protecting... I had, I've been... I've worked in seven equatorial countries, which means it's on the equator, I guess. Oh, that, okay, seven countries. I may have equated that with... All the continents. The continents. <laughs> this is a classic when your partner doesn't completely listen to everything situation. <laughs> like, yeah, I've been around to a lot of um, conservation projects. I've worked all over the world. Um, and I guess we, I guess it's important to the story to mention that we moved to Melbourne in 2018 for Todd's IT job, because he's a bit of a computer nerd. Um, and I thought it would be a good opportunity to try and establish myself fully in the conservation industry in Australia um, and so I kind of found a, a organization, a really reputable NGO here in Australia that I wanted to volunteer for and try and establish myself in the company and get a job. 
Um, so I guess the moment I want to talk about with Todd is just the, the, the night before Lonely Conservationist existed, um, where to set the scene, we were visiting our friend in Echuca, and I was telling them about how I was volunteering for this organization eight hours a day, five days a week, um, as if I was working there as a full-time job. But when it came to me applying for a job, they were really reluctant to give me one because they didn't think I had enough experience, even though I'd been volunteering for them for six months at the time. Really skilled reports, not like lackey volunteer stuff. I was writing complex reports, doing data analysis. Um, so it was kind of shitty to hear that they they didn't think I had the skills after that amount of time working with them to be employed. So I was telling this to Todd and my friend, and I just vividly remember their reactions. What do you remember of that day? Um, we just had to tell you, you, you need a job where you get paid. <laughs> I mean, that's fair and enough. you can't just, you know, volunteer your whole life because you personally are going to get screwed over. Yeah. I know. It was really challenging because my friend knew this organization and had worked with them before and basically he told me that I would never ever be employed by them if I was giving them work for free. And I remember just looking down at the table feeling like my life was crushed because that was like my first time I'd had a New Year's resolution. I thought it would be really achievable. I'm going to volunteer until I get this job and then I just felt like my whole life's over. I have to quit my whole career in conservation. Like It does sound reasonable if you volunteer for a place and it's a bit... If you had a job interview, all you can say is, I promise I'll be great at this job. Please give me a try. But if you volunteer there for six months and then there's a job opening and you say, well, look, I've done the job for six months very well. I am perfect for this job that I've already been doing. And they still say, no, thank you. Like, it must come down to them not valuing you because for six months they've said your work equals zero dollars. So why would we change that? Mm. It's interesting as well because they actually told me that my work that I was doing was having funding implications. And I think if it gets to the point where somebody's volunteering and it actually impacts the finances of the organization, like that, that's a big deal. I think they should be paid because it's a pretty big responsibility. Yeah. And it's like, not to get to how capitalism works, but you're creating value for this organization and you're not getting a fair share of the value that you're creating. And I think that's what I touch on a lot in this book is that it's hard for conservationists to value themselves because traditionally people in society will get money for their value or like as a indicator of their value. So if conservationists aren't getting anything to show that their work is being valued, it's hard for them to like even appreciate what they do as something that's worth anything. It is one thing for like trees and animals to not pay you because they can't, but when actual organizations that do have money flowing through them just continue to not pay you because you're just used to the, you know, koalas and kangaroos not paying you either. Mm. Yeah, it's a bit rough, especially when they were advertising for jobs. And like, admittedly, the job that I applied for wasn't the work I'd been doing. It was like a different project within the company, but still like they had the money, the facilities to train me. They knew who I was. I just think it was a bit. So this experience led you down the road of maybe instead of fixing me and my career, I should just fix the industry slash society. Well, first, like 
I had to channel a Todd a bit because Todd's favorite activity in the whole world is moping on the couch. And I think after my whole life, dreams got crushed. Relaxing, <laughs> kicking back. I tried this moping on the couch situation because I thought my life was over and I did not know what I was going to do. Um, oh yeah, just for context, this was in January last year. So not a very long time ago. A year ago. A year ago, yeah. Or almost two years ago. I know, time flies. <laughs> um, but when I was moping on the couch, I was like convinced my life was over in the industry, um, considering being a trophy wife, some other other new career opportunities. Um, but then my friend actually messaged me who was in Spain and I'd actually met her before in Malaysia in an elephant um, program. And she was telling me that she was having visa troubles and she couldn't get back to her field site. And she was feeling lonely in conservation. And I was like, oh, for the first time in my life, I was thinking maybe I'm not the only one who's going through these hardships of every single year, trying my hardest to get into a position, working my ass off, and then ending the year with like no prospects in that area. <laughs> um, so I was sick of this Groundhog Day and then for the first time ever, because I guess the industry is so glamorized and everywhere you look on Instagram and David Attenborough documentaries, everyone looks like they're living their best life in conservation. There was no indicators for me that there were other people who also weren't living their best life in conservation. Um, so basically I got off off the couch and I started the blog Lonely Conservationists and all the social media sites, or well, basically just the Instagram, then it grew afterwards. And I was basically telling my story because I had nothing to lose anymore. I was like, I don't care if nobody hires me. I don't care what's happening because I'm sick of this. And I just want to know if anybody else experiences it too. Um, so now, like 20 months later, there's over 4,000 people in the community, like 80 blogs submitted to the website from global conservationists of all demographics, ages, um, cultures, from all over the world, sharing their stories alongside mine, and they're all eerily, eerily similar to me, <laughs> to my story. And it's crazy because for so long, for like 26 years of my life, I thought I was alone in the industry. And now to be surrounded by so many people from all over the world experiencing the same things as me is crazy. Um, so basically, I want to know from Todd, what was it like coming home that day when I said, oh, I created this thing? And then how it grew, like, did your perception of it change over time? Like, what was your experience with me creating Lonely Conservationist? Well, you just told me it was an Instagram page. So then I'm telling people, yes, my partner is, her new career path is being on Instagram. <laughs> which has its own it set of blog. connotations. I told you it was a blog. Like, because it wasn't really an Instagram page first. It was the blog first and foremost. And the Instagram was primarily used to direct people to the blog. But then it kind of became its own thing over time. Mm. <laughs> but you're just telling everyone, oh, Jessie's like an influencer now. She's quit yeah. her life to just completely change direction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think that's the thing about Todd. I have to mention from the beginning is. All his stories are really not accurate. <laughs> like, he would tell stories to people that I'm with that, about things that I was there for. And I'm like, no, this is not right. <laughs> You're a bit of an embellisher. Yeah, that's fine. It's fine. I don't know. Well, what did you think? Like, in the beginning, you're like, okay, like, Jessie's messing around online. She's got this Instagram page. But what about when I was asked to speak 
at a conference for the Smithsonian Institute and you're trying to help me make a bio when there was like the example they gave me was from a NASA scientist and I was like holy shit I, I'm not good enough to be on this page with this NASA scientist <laughs> like did you ever expect to become anything other than like a couple of followers on Instagram no I did not I'm very surprised <laughs> how much traction in the rest of your life this has taken <laughs> but like you I guess you can be surprised by like the online popularity, but are you surprised that other people were experiencing similar things than I was like back in the day before Lonely Conservationist? Like, because we've been together for five years now and it's only in the last two years that I've had this platform. When it was like you saw me struggling for three years in the industry, did you think it was just me and everyone else was successful? Or did you presume there was other people struggling in the field as well? Well, you, you you get a bit of a bias because you only see publicly famous, successful conservationists. So, I I give give me give me an example. Of what? A, a famous conservationist who's made it. Well, there's there's heaps. Exactly. <laughs> so, I was I was hoping to use a name. Like they, Jane Goodall or something. Jane Goodall. I don't know what she does, but I can't picture her just sitting at home not knowing how to pay rent yeah that's true like i just can't imagine that being the lifestyle yeah well i guess like I and here you are being invited on conferences and like by all on paper have made it but you continue to be at home with nothing to do wondering how you're gonna pay i don't have nothing to do when do i ever have nothing to do it's a sunday right now and i'm recording this podcast this is supposed to be my downtime I can't believe this time. <laughs> you just invent work for yourself and then you complain that no one pays you for it when it's just your own thing. Yeah, okay. This is quite important, I think, because this is like a perception that Todd has that I'm creating work for myself and that it's just like me doing busy tasks when like from my perspective, it doesn't feel like that. Like, for instance, the work that I'm doing with Lonely Conservationists at the moment is... I'm working with a mentor to create a business. I am producing a web series called Lonely Con- Conversationist. I don't know why we called it something so similar to the name. You need to work <laughs> on your marketing. Yeah, no. Um, uh, yeah, I'm producing a web series. I am publishing this book. And <laughs> there's a lot of stuff that I'm doing. As, as he said, I'm also speaking in conferences. I feel like there's not a day that goes by that I'm not busy doing things and i understand like yeah but you're busy doing things and they're all of your own volition yeah and they're all important things to you but they're not getting you anywhere yeah well i guess like this is the... in, a, in a traditional office worker point of view well i guess this is the perception because like conservationists feel this as well that like so the work that i'm doing i think is valuable and necessary like my mission in life is to make sure conservationists know that they are valued and that they're important and that they're not alone in their struggles. And I think I invest so much time in doing all these projects because I have a mission to make sure that conservationists don't feel this way and that they um, eventually have the space to be valued. Like I'm working really hard on projects that educate the public about what we're going through and also give conservationists kind of the tools they need to get through and be able 
to like I don't want to say I can convert like make systemic changes because maybe as one person I can't but I'd like to think I'm on that path so what I'm doing is like so important to me and I feel like it's important to other people but outwardly it could look like I'm just doing busy work because I'm not getting paid for it and if society only values work as something you get paid for, then yeah, I'm just twiddling my thumbs all day because I'm not getting paid for it. Like the well, page- everyone needs a hobby. <laughs> like the Patreon gives me like um, 150 bucks a month. I split it between my team and that's $50 each. So I get $50 a month as my job. It's a good time, but that's like classic conservationist wage. That's what we're used to. Okay. <laughs> By, by that metric, you're doing better than volunteering and getting nothing. And I guess I really want to cl- classify and clarify what I mean by conservationist as well, because to me, conservationist is anyone from like a mother who's making environmental changes around their household to the environmental minister. Like, arguably, I think Todd is a conservationist because he he has a compost bin. He has reusable things around the house. He's helped me do a lot of on-ground conservation projects. So I think I just want to establish right from the beginning that you don't have to have a degree or be paid or be like a professional in the field to be a conservationist. My definition of conservationist is like anyone that is striving to conserve the planet. This is why your definition of conservationists have so much trouble in the industry because they're just mums using paper bags instead of plastic well i think if we make the conservation term or world or whatever more accessible to people then i think more people can get on board because it's hard when you're constantly fighting for your title or like to make a space for yourself but if everyone accepted everyone who was trying as a conservationist at least we could use camaraderie to come together and like make a bigger difference and not just be one person I just think every every small thing counts and we don't have time or the capacity to slander people for not making a big enough effort because that's just damaging. There are also some sort of academic people who are a bit snooty yeah. about it. <laughs> yeah, academia is like a whole other story and like we will get into my experiences with academia in other episodes. Not today. <laughs> that's a, a big can of worms, but I'm actually curious... Um, so Todd came with me to Indonesia to do my field work. He has helped me out a lot in like, cause he's a tech nerd. He's helped me out with a lot of the technology side of things. This is even his microphone we're using now. Um, so I, <laughs> I'm really curious to know, like, do you consider yourself to be a conservationist? No. Why? What are the barriers? Um, just because I imagine a conservationist is like, it's very incorrect, I assume, but what I think is someone who just walks into the forest and finds a little furry creature and just gives a little pat on the head and says, there, there, you'll be all right, and just looks after him. Yeah, is that what I do? Do I have, like, a house full of furry creatures that I pat every night to give them a kiss on the head? That is my assumption when you went to all these different countries. I'm just patting like, I went. Creatures. I went to Madagascar to protect the... Do you even monkeys? know what lives in Madagascar? There's no monkeys I, in there's Madagascar. There's no monkeys? No, it's lemurs. What's the movie? The lemurs. <laughs> it's full of monkeys. Lemurs are prosimians. They are pre-monkeys. Um, pre- they are because they're like the primitive monkeys. 
They're a bit basic. They're the basic bitches of the primate world. But I studied them. I can say that I love them a lot. They were the first um, wild populations that I actually researched. So I say that in the most endearing of ways. Yeah. So are you telling me that you weren't just there finding them in the forest and giving them a little pat? I never touch wild animals. I only lure in like there was this African land snail that I... I really wanted to be friends with and I went out to it and I as opposed to a sky snail it was like the size of my fist Jesus and I got some water and I I was like snails they come out when it's raining so I got a bucket of water and I sprinkled it on the snail pretended it was raining and then well and behold it came out of its shell and it started munching so loud on grass it was like I was like I can't believe this (laughs) this snail is so loud um but I don't really touch wild animals as a conservationist because I like to respect them and their privacy. Uh, I always like to keep a distance. But that land snail is the only, one of the only times that I've really got up in an animal's grill, give it a little pat and a kiss on the cheek. Don't do that. They have very deadly diseases, I found out when I returned home to Australia. <laughs> uh, do not kiss snails. Um, yeah, but... As much as you may want to. <laughs> I know, snails are very kissable. I just love snails. I was weeding the other day and I had so many snail friends. So I think um, that's a bit beside the point. I think this has been um, a good recap of, I guess, who Todd and I are, our very differing perspectives on things and kind of what we get into in the first episode. And by episode, of course, I mean chapter. Um, a lot of the barriers to conservation and how I got into being a conservationist conservationist and my journey. So thanks for listening to the first episode of How to Conserve Conservationists. This has been the episode, Why Should We Conserve Conservationists Anyway? Which is the title of chapter one in the book. If you want to grab the book, um, I don't know when it will be out, but keep an eye out, then it will be available wherever you get your books. Um, you can follow along the chapters with us. If you want to check out more of Lonely Conservationist, go to www.learningconservationist.com, follow us on Instagram at Lonely Conservationist, or even consider supporting me on Patreon, so I have more than $50 a month. Um, that's patreon.com slash Lonely Conservationist. I look forward to talking to you again soon. Bye!